Welcome to the bridge. We're so glad you're here. Uh, what an awesome uh, experience of worship. As uh, the worship team is doing so well. I'm thankful for the rotation of uh, different folks getting to play different things and uh, just uh, sharing our gift with the body. And we appreciate all them. We appreciate all the ones that give your time and your talents and your treasures to serving in children's church, serving in greeter ministry, serving in making a coffee before we get here, and all the good things. Amen. Amen. What a great group of people. And let's give each other a hand for the ones that serve. If you don't serve, check with somebody sitting close to you because they won't be far away. Somebody's doing something here. And we encourage you to get involved and be a part of the bridge and help us uh, share Jesus with the world. Uh, that's our intent and that's our purpose is to become Christ-like by learning together and serving others. Look your neighbor and say, it sounds like you need to learn a lesson. <laughs> that's your two choices, either learn or serve. That's your two ways uh, of becoming more at the bridge and more involved. And if you haven't learned for a while, then maybe you're a know-it-all. Is there any of those in the house or anybody in here a know-it-all? Maybe you're sitting beside us. You're sitting there thinking, well, it's them, but I'm not saying anything. Um, we all have a little bit of that in us, so uh, truly, I believe we do. Um, and sometimes in life, we, we get to the point where the um, silence would be a good thing. And I know I'm saying that as I'm the one speaking right now, but silence is a good thing. And sometimes it's hard to be in silence, to be in solitude, to be in a place where that we allow others to share. And a few years ago, I was in a, in a training session, and, and they taught, it was about an hour-long class on how to listen. You may think that sounds kind of weird, but it was eye-opening for me because as I sat there, I, I began to listen because that sparked my interest about, I don't think I've ever had a class on listening. Have any of you ever had a class or a session on listening? Something you don't hear of, right? Because who's going to listen when you talk about listening? And the conference I was in, the guy I was sitting beside of is one of those people that never listens. The whole time you talk to him, he's thinking of what he's going to say back to you or respond what he wants to say because he wanted the conversation anyway. He might have given you five seconds to talk, but wasn't very good at listening. So the whole time we're there, text, ring, you know, we're in a class on listening. It'd be a good time to silence your phone. And in that class, they talked about how the, and, and the, they had an image, a picture that showed this individual talking and this individual supposed to be the one listening, and it was like a big cloud in between it. And there was all these words in this cloud in between the two. But in the middle of those two 
all these words were there, and it was this person that was supposed to be listening, thinking what he was thinking was clouding what the other guy was saying. So it's hard to get through the cloud of mixed all these thoughts, and we're just so caught up in our things. But what the world needs today is some people to listen. And I believe if we're going to be Christ-like, we have to be a good listener. And there was times that Jesus spoke very little but said a lot. For instance, when he knelt down on the ground and they brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery and they put her before him and he, it says that he knelt down and he was writing in the dust. And he told them he without sin cast the first stone. That's all he had to say, but that said a lot. Amen? The Bible says as they begin to stand there and think and contemplate what he had just said to them from the least from the greatest to the least as they were thinking do I have sin? The oldest guy said I had more sin so he had to walk away. And all the way down and I, I wondered who was the last one? Did you ever think of that? Who, who, who was the last one? Other than Jesus and the woman, who was the last person? The Bible don't say, but I would say it was a hardhead. Or somebody proud and monstrous. And, and it doesn't really say, does it, if they talk to each other, it'd be like, Dusty, what, what, what did you say last week? Well, I messed up on that, you know. I kind of let one slip or whatever, you know. Well, you better go, you know. So what if that was our question in this room today? He without sin, you're allowed to stay. Who would be the last one here? <laughs> so by Jesus saying very little, he said a lot. It meant a lot. And it caused a lot of questions to enter people's mind. And, but they all ended up walking away, and it says that Jesus and the lady was there left alone. Finally, the last hardhead, the proud, boasters, saying I'm sinless, perfect person, walked away and it left Jesus and her and he said, look around. And I'm sure, according to the scripture, she was looking at the ground waiting on somebody to cast the first stone because in their culture, stoning someone was a common occurrence. They killed people often, not by trial, but by taking them out to the edge of the city and throwing a bunch of rocks until they killed them. So capital punishment was a normal thing by a mob in their culture. So she wasn't thinking, well, this is never going to happen to me. She was thinking, surely I'm getting ready to die. But Jesus' very simple question or statement, he without sin cast the first stone. Not one rock was thrown that day. It broke the culture of normalcy as let's kill people that we don't like or we think we're better than. Their religion was to kill people that they thought they were better than. And Jesus broke that cycle by saying he without sin cast the first time. 
As he told her that, well, look around after all of them was gone. Where's your accusers? There's nobody left but him. He was perfect and without sin. He could have thrown the first stone. But guess what? He didn't. Come on, somebody. How many has experienced Jesus' grace? Amen. His mercy. Amen. That I deserved death. You hear what I'm saying? I deserved death because of my sin. The wages of sin, according to Romans, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Amen. And if we have him, we have enough. Amen. Because his grace, the Bible says, is sufficient for us. That's pretty plainly put, but it's the truth. His grace is sufficient for us. But in listening, Jesus was a great listener so that he truly understood the individual that he was having a discussion with so he could respond accordingly because he listened, truly listened. Not listened to respond, but listened to understand. And one thing we need to know as Christians and being Christians today, especially after this red letter challenge, is we need to be good listeners. There's too many in the church that think we're exactly 100% right and we've got all the answers to all the world's problems, but guess what? I'm not the answer. I'm not the solution to people's problems. Jesus is. And until we interject him as the answer to their problems and quit trying to give our opinions, we're not going to see the revival that we seek. And sometimes in that silence or those moments of solitude is where we can truly hear and understand who Jesus is and what he's trying to say. So this message today, All for Love, it's Valentine's Day. You know, we had our celebration last night. Uh, thank you, Earl, for buying my, what, what I have? Prime rib. Yeah, that's pretty good when you get prime rib and somebody else pays for it. Well, Amy went and paid for it, but Earl, she said it was Earl's credit card. Either way, it was pretty nice. It was really good. You're going to get him, JR? Yeah. He didn't buy you one, then he bought me one. Yeah. <laughs> but when we was down there last night at the Valentine's thing at the Carter House, and thank God for the Carter House, thank God for local, thank God for a place that we could go to. And I love our town, I love our community, I love our city, I love our people. Amen. Amen. I want to be part of it. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. And God calls us to live together in community. But as we was there, um, Leslie didn't like it because they brought out the speaker, the little speaker to play music. And it was like 10 levels too high. <laughs> and set it right behind our table. So we was trying to talk, and there was a table about, I don't know, I mean, it was nine or ten or something like that. It was a table. And, and trying to talk to him and give him your, uh, uh, what you want in order. And 
give me your order. And he's like, what? Say it again. You know, he got even louder. And then she's standing at one end of the table looking down at the other. He said, what do you want, Seth? Well, I'll take her prime rib. How about that? It's like, let's just like, turn her music down, can you? So they finally did. They moved it to other place and voted somebody else because we just wanted to complain. Um, but we can always find problems, can't we? It's hard to communicate when there's that noise there. But I really believe that all because, all for love, that Jesus is love, that he wants us to communicate with the world in which we're living clearly in the midst of the noise, in the midst of the chaos. How many feels like you're living in a chaotic world? You've probably heard it said by some that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That that's what we feel like, that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Only if we let it. And Jesus didn't call us to stand idly by and get salvation for herself and not worry about our neighbor. Amen. So the biggest takeaway that we can take from the Red Letter Challenge and Valentine's Day is to love more each and every day. And the way Jesus said to love was love your enemy. Love those that despitefully use you. How many likes being used by somebody? taken advantage of. It's not fun, is it? Jesus said love that person just as much, if even not more, than you love your own family. And that's not easy, but that's the Valentine's kind of love that Jesus is talking about. And the word in the, in the Greek is agape. It's, it's the unconditional love. It's, you can't purchase it kind of love. So offer love is a thing that I wanted to share today. And I've had a few thoughts this week and thinking about it, that the title love, just the word love, and I think the greatest verse in all scripture, and we quote it all the time here at church, but I think it's the number one quoted verse in the world, really, that we all know. And we've said it multiple times in the past several months, but I think there's more to it that we need to dig into today and think about. So John 3.16, right? For God so hated the world that he kept his son for himself that the world would go to hell in a handbasket. It's not how it goes, but it's how we live sometimes. For God so loved the world. What kind of love? A unconditional love. A love that is not deserved. A love that is cannot be bought. A love that cannot be purchased by good deeds or by your own perfection or anything other than the blood of God's Son. For God so loved. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you.
Now you need to look at the neighbor on the other side that you didn't want to turn to first and say, no, I love you. I love you. <laughs> and you might have somebody in the room that you don't like very much, but you need to just look at them and say, I love you. So, For God so loved. Kind of like a video I saw of a little girl telling her mom, you want a girl, you chase me. I don't know who that is sitting in the room with us today. You come chase me if you want a daughter. Love you. Love you too. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son, that whomsoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I've talked about this before, but it, it kind of struck me in, in, in a different way this this week. And how many loves getting new meanings out of the same verse that you've heard 5,000 times? It just means something different. That you, It's like a whole different take. It's like, why well, I've not saw that before. But I, I've said this before, and hopefully you've listened. Hopefully you've listened. Who, who was he talking to? These are red letters, so this is Jesus' letters, but who was he talking to? Right? Nicodemus. So Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime because he was too embarrassed to come to him by the day and be seen talking to Jesus because... He was a very influential person. So in their culture, he was basically like one of the lead politicians, rulers of the day. But their government was also their church. So he was one of the pastors, senior pastors, that had authority in government as well. But Nicodemus heard Jesus preach, heard the rumors of the healing, heard the rumors of all the things that Jesus had been up to, and he was intrigued by it enough that he wanted to know, but he was ashamed to be seen. So he comes to Jesus by night, and he's asking Jesus these questions. What's this salvation that you're talking about? We're saved because we keep the Ten Commandments. We're saved because we keep the Torah. We're saved because we keep God's Word and act on it accordingly. And Jesus tells him, no, it's not how it is. You cannot be perfect enough in your own power to be saved. Amen. And telling a religious zealot this offended him. So Nicodemus is getting offended because Jesus is telling him things he don't want to hear. And I'm sure any of us that halfway listened or paid attention or tried to study the Red Letter Challenge was offended by some of the things it said. That it's hard. It's one of those messages that Jesus is putting on us that says, I don't know, that's tough. But Jesus isn't telling us a tough message because he don't love us. He's telling us a tough message because that's what we need to hear. So he's speaking 
And as Nicodemus is saying this thing, Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, well, how can I be born again? I hear I am an old man, and, I, you know, I was already come out of my mother's womb once, and that can't happen again. It seems impossible. What you're saying, born again, what does that even mean? And it doesn't make much sense, logically. But Jesus wasn't speaking logically. He was speaking, speaking spiritually. You mean... When we're born as a baby, and that first breath, as they pat them on the butt or whatever, and the first comes, sounds like the rest of their life, really. <laughs> right, parents? Especially the ones with teenagers. Clean your room. <laughs> it's the same sound. doesn't change much. But Nicodemus can't understand this. And he's talking spiritually. And, and this is a spiritual person. This is a Jewish rabbi that has a lot of authority in the church that don't understand what Jesus is saying. And I really believe this, that there's times when we're not listening spiritually, but physically, we hear what Jesus is saying, but we don't understand what Jesus is saying. Give us spiritual ears so that we can hear what says the Spirit of God. And if we're not listening spiritually, and we're only listening logically or naturally, we're missing the point. So when Jesus is trying to explain this, that I'm, I'm talking about that God... My father is going to save individuals not by their actions, but by his goodness. He's going to save them because he can. And whether your religion likes it or not, whether you think it's right or not, whether you think they're worthy or not, makes no difference to him because he is the one that can save. Amen. Guess what, Nicodemus? Everything you was trying to act out and put burdens on society and put burdens on the church and tell who's worthy to come and who's not worthy to come, who's clean and who's unclean and all these things, all the things you're saying Nicodemus, has no bearing on God's grace. All for love. For God so loved. Loved what? Loved the world. The world? Are you serious? I thought the world was going to hell in a handbasket. Not if my God's in charge. Come on, somebody. You can look, you can look at your uh, uh, lost uh, loved ones and think, man, I don't know if they're ever going to get right. I don't know if they're ever going to do things right. I don't know if they're ever going to hear. But guess what? God is chasing them whether you're saying anything or not. He's been following them around. And he's been looking and showing them and painting them pictures. And he's trying everything he can to get them to come to the realization that he is the salvation they need. He wants you to talk. But he needs them to listen. So this is red letters, and we went through this red letter challenge, and this is the first time I've ever thought this thought this week. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was speaking about his own demise. Think about that. These are great letters that we quote, and it was Jesus speaking about himself. How hard would it be to utter the words of your own demise? For God so loved you, Nicodemus, that he's given me his very own sight. For you, you worthless, religious zealot, bigot, person that goes out and stones people. For God so loved you that he's given me. I don't know how Jesus was able to bear and say those words. In our own selfishness. In our own, we say we love people, but we do, we love them the way God loves them. The way God loves them is, I'm willing to give up myself because God loves you. So when we see those no gown, no good, downright rotten individuals that we come in contact with, do we look at them with disdain or do we look at them the way Jesus looked at them? You know, the Bible bashers, the ones that beat people over the head with the Bible, I don't care a whole lot for those kind of people. That was Nicodemus. And that's who Jesus said, for God so loved you that he's going to give me so that you can have salvation. And to see that and understand that those words were coming from Jesus himself. It just quickened me this week to think, I say I love people, but am I, am I willing to give up on my idea or my opinion truly and say to people, not just in words, but in actions? <laughs> They're going to say, hey, I'm not going to. Um, but that unconditional love is there. That I'm not going to love you only when you're acting right. But I'm going to love you unconditionally. And Parents know this and grandparents know this even more so. You love your kids but you beat them when they do wrong. Um, then when they get to be grandkids you love your kids and your grandkids and you don't beat them when they do wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> Kaylee? Go away from home for a little courage. I'm going to take up for it. Leave him alone. And the whole time Kaylee said, they're like, that wasn't the way you did it to me. Why, why are you going to let crew go? <laughs> but Jesus wants us to understand and listen to society and listen to people that sometimes you don't even like to be in conversation with them. And Jesus could have very easily said to Nicodemus Dusty, I, I'm offended that you would come to me at nighttime and try to hide 
Ask me this question. Jesus could have been offended very easily and said, how dare you do it this way? Why didn't you come out in the daytime and say it in front of the crowd where everybody looks to you with high esteem because you wear a certain robe and you got placards around your arms seven times every morning. You got all these perfect looking things that you look like a very churchy person, but here you are coming to me. A guy that's wandering around in the wilderness, that's preaching to 3,000 and 5,000 people and feeding miraculous food and, 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 and healing the sick and, and raising the dead and doing all this. Why are you coming to me at nighttime? Jesus could have been offended, but he wasn't. Why? Because it's all for love. And he's standing there thinking, the only reason I'm here right now, the only reason that Jesus came, and he's standing there in flesh like you and I have. The Bible says in all manner he was tested just like you and I. That he, he had chances to sin, but he didn't. And in the midst of his flesh, he still chose love in a moment where he could have said, you ain't worthy of me dying on a cross. You're not worth it. He could have loved his disciples, but looked with disdain on these individuals like Nicodemus hiding in the dark. But he loved them just as much. And he took time for him just as much as he did for Peter. And just as much as he did for Matthew and James and John and all these individuals that he chose. Come follow me. Guess what? People come follow him even in darkness. But guess what? He loves them just the same. And if we as Christians would ever get through our no good stinking thinking mindset that I'm the only one worthy of his salvation. No, the whole world is worthy of his salvation. Amen. That nothing separates us from the love of God. If you don't believe that, read the end of Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God? Persecution. No, that can't do it. There's a whole list of things that it says there that what people would say would separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Why? Because the Father sent His Son to die the death that we deserve. Why? So you don't have Is there anybody glad that you don't have to go to hell? Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for the love of God. The love of God that passes understanding that I can't even comprehend sometimes this born-again experience that I'm talking about. It makes no sense to me, Dusty. Why in the world is I'm no good, I'm not good at all. But God sent Jesus and hung him on the cross, his very own son, his only son. For me. Yes. I'm not worth that. Not at all. But he did it anyway. Why? Because he loves me. And let me tell you something. You will never feel worthy of God's love. But I promise you this. He loves you anyway. You can't earn it. You can't clean up enough. You can't get all things put in order and set your house in order so that you know how it's going to be. You've got to come and hit to him just as you are. And how far will this love go? All for love. How far will it go? 
everything I do is because of you. It's all for love. So let's take it to the end. And I've got 15 minutes. I've been preaching for 30. And I don't have my point across yet. So I've got 15 more. Is that okay, Boosie? You good with 15 more? How far will God's love go through Jesus? And how far will it be? Will he paint a picture of love? Let's go with him all the way to the last verses of the gospel. Where the Jesus tells his disciples, you know, in three days, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. But on the third day, he's going to raise again. His disciples had no understanding of what he's talking about. They had no clue. He, they'd been with him for three and a half years. Think about that. Three and a half years. You ought to get it. By then, what do you think? You get four years of high school. Sometimes they just give you a diploma to get you out of there. <laughs> Amen. Go on and get. <laughs> Live a good life. Can you imagine Jesus how... I can't imagine telling the same, same story over and over and over again, Dusty, and three and a half years later, and I ask the people, and they just looked at you like, I don't know what's talking about. Like, Come on. Get with the picture. Get with the program. But Jesus is telling his disciples, and, and it goes all the way to the end, and it, 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 it talks about how that on that last day, and that final day, that he's up on, on top of that hill, and he's praying, and he asks him to just pray with me. Just just hang in there with me for a few hours. And tomorrow's the day where they're going to take the Son of Man, and they're going to kill him. Will you help pray? Because this is all for love. And the very disciples, the three disciples that he thought was closest to him, he took them up on that hill, Rick. And as he sat there, he came back down the hill, and he looked, and they were snoring. I can't imagine... The weight that was on his shoulder that it said that his sweat become drops of blood, of anguish. The pressure of the world was on him. He knew his date for death was tomorrow. And my best friends can't even pray. The closest I've got won't even pray with me. And I can just hear these words. From his father telling him, son, it's all for love. The reason I sent you is because it's all for love. For I so love the world that I'm going to give you so that they can have everlasting love. I can't imagine. The Son of God, Jesus, God's very own Son. As they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they whipped him with the cat of nine tails, and says they beat him and they spit on him. What's it like to be in his shoes and say, This is all for love when they're beating you? They take him and they spread him out on that board. And they nail these nails through his wrists and his hands. He's looking over and seeing them with a hammer and beating and clanking. 
him just saying, this is all for love. This hurts. But it's all for love. <coughs> you saw the imagery, I'm sure, if you haven't, you need to watch The Passion of the Christ to see what he experienced. And it's brutal. It's dramatic. It's beyond what words can even think. Literally, there was pieces of flesh hanging from his back. And then walking him down this road. It says in the story that the load became too much and he fell to the ground and he, didn't, he was so weak. I can imagine the Savior of the world on the ground with a tree nailed to his back saying, this is all for love, but he couldn't get up. They'd taken it so far that he couldn't dust it. I can't imagine how much that all for love he was trying to get up to carry that cross and he couldn't. And it says, this guy comes along and picks him up and helps him up to the place of Golgotha. The place of the skull. We call it Calvary, and it's just a different form of words that crossed language. Place of the skull. And in the place of the skull, if you'll go and study this, you'll see that it's just a little mound of the rock that wasn't good enough that they was quarrying out, that they just continued to dig, but they wouldn't dig this because it wasn't good enough quality. And they dug this place out. All the way around, it was like a skull. It looked like a human skull was coming out of the ground. And they bore down in these place for posts. And it's not a very big place. When we think of these imagery that we've always seen on Easter, you know, the great big hill, it's a little bitty dome. And there was three places right there that Romans had made where they could put these posts down in the ground to crucify people in public to expose them. People would walk by and they would scourge and mock and ridicule. And, and can you imagine Jesus on that cross and looking over? Thief. How many likes a thief? You love thief? Why not? What Jesus do? We won't be like him. We won't be Christians. Guess what? You gotta say, "I love thieves." Utter that word right now. Everybody in this room say, "I love thieves." I love thieves. That's not real easy. I, I've heard a lot of Christians say, "I hate a thief," <laughs> but the Savior of the world hanging on a cross within hours of his death. This is going to take about six hours for me to die. And people's going to walk by and they're going to ridicule and they're going to say, I knew he wasn't the Messiah when God's son himself was hanging on that cross and he looked over at that thief and that thief said, forgive me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. I love thieves. 
So if I'm going to be like Jesus, now this is not easy stuff. But sometimes this imagery that we have in our mind is not truly the setting that Jesus experienced. And where this skull is, this little dome, this little mound that was left, as Jesus was there, the blood continued to drop. This crown of thorns that they had placed in his head had pierced his all throughout his skull, and this blood was dripping on this skull. Imagine six hours of anguish and pain of dying a slow, miserable death and watching these blood droplets hit the ground. The ground wasn't good enough to even be quarried. They took him to a despicable place. He sees these folks here with him, and this one's going to enter heaven with him. He's grateful for that. That I came because God so loved the world. But as I studied this week, how far away was the grave? How far away was the tomb? See, in our mind, we've got these thoughts of what does that look like? But actually, Jesus, where he was hanging on that skull, the tomb, was about 30 yards away, or about 90 feet. It'd be like me standing right here and looking to the clubhouse where the kids are. His place of death was in eyesight of his tomb where he would lay. They're going to crucify the Son of Man. But on the third day, Come on, somebody. On the third day, yes. he'll rise again. And him standing there and him looking death in the face. And sure it hurt. And sure there was pain. And sure there was anguish. And sure there was ridicule. And sure they were still spitting on him. And they was poking him. And they was gouging him. And they was doing everything they could do to make it as miserable as they could. <coughs> the final hours of his life. But him looking at that tomb. I'm going to be there. But it's just going to be a little while. Come on, somebody. I, you may put me there, but it's only going to be for a little while. Yeah. And that's the way we need to look at this life, that this is temporal, the Bible says. Yeah. We're just in earthen vessels. But guess what? We're going to go into a grave somewhere, but that don't mean we're going to stay there. Yeah. There's coming a day where Jesus comes through the cloud and he calls his church home, and the graves are going to open up, and the dead in Christ are going to rise again. Why? Because he caused us to have everlasting life. I don't have to die because he said I'm living. Why? It's all for love. It's all for a picture of love. And if you can't say it in this room today, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to live forever. 
Death has come knocking. The angel of death has come knocking. And it's going to continue to knock on your heart's door. And you know there's a demise. Like when I was not saved, and I'm not saying I'm worthy to be saved, I was unworthy to be saved. But God saw fit to give His Son for me. And if you don't know Him in this place today, He did His part. Now all you have to do is do your part. And it may sound too simple. You may think, well, Pastor, I'm not clean enough yet. I haven't straightened up enough yet. I don't have it all figured out yet. If you're waiting on that, you're going to wait for a long time. Because we're all a bag full of junk. Amen? We're rotten, no good individuals. But God didn't look at us to solve the problem. He saw us as the problem that he had the solution for. And that solution was his son called Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. I only forgot. Whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans it says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he was propitiation for our sins, that we will be saved. I don't know how much more clear to put it than that. That all for love. He gave his son for you and me. Because he wants us to be saved. You're not created for demise. You're created for greatness. God has a plan for your life. And that plan is to prosper you and for you to be in health even as your soul prospers. That's scripture. Is your soul prospering today? You know what that means? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. When you accept Jesus, he changes your mind. How many has a problem with your mind? How many fights a lot of Bibles in our mind? Jesus can change that if we let him. We're probably like Nicodemus and saying, I don't know. That sounds too easy. What do you mean I can be born again? What do you mean that God is the love of the world? What do you mean? Nicodemus is one of the ones that went to during Jesus' death and the persecution of that final day. Nicodemus was one saying, let him be. You want to kill him, but let him be. Why? Because Nicodemus had hurt. God 
Won't you bow your head and close your eyes? You may have thought when you got up out of bed this morning that just accidentally just decided today, <coughs> yeah, I'll just go today. I'll just, I'll just go on out of church here. Yeah. Go down and hear some music. Maybe get uplifted. But God sent you here. For such a day as this. That you would hear a message. That would awaken your heart. And cause you to love like you never loved. don't know him in this place today. Today would be a great day for you to make things right. Because Jesus died for you. He hung on that cross for you. He took those stripes on his back for you. He wore the crown of thorns for you. And he watched those blood droplets hit that skull for you. And all he asked you to do, for God's the love that he gave, but all he asked you to do is believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus died for me. If you're watching online, maybe you've tuned in just because somebody here shared the service with you. You don't know him and you're sitting in your house. God's Spirit knows no bounds. And He can save you right there in the house where you're sitting. You may be listening to this podcast throughout this next week, maybe next year, that you've stumbled across it and you've heard this message and God is knocking on your heart's door and He's saying, all I need you to do is believe.
allow me to make heaven my home because of what you did. In Jesus' name, I believe. Amen. That sounds so simple, but I promise you it's true. It'll make a difference in your life. If that's you today, Tell some people you know that you've accepted them in your life. I just feel like there's people at home that's watching today. You may have prayed that prayer with us. I'm just encouraging you to reach out to somebody and let them know that you've made that decision to follow Jesus. assured of your salvation because there's people that praise that prayer and then 10 years later say well I feel like I'm letting down I feel like I've failed I feel like I've slipped don't ever let the devil trick you into thinking you can get there on your account 30 years later and Mary is still because of what he did not on how good I am, because I'm no good trash. But he sees something marvelous that he's willing to give his life for me. Don't ever lose that, church. This is what he did. It's why we're saved. Does he ask us to live holy lives? Absolutely. He wants us to live the best life we can. He encourages us, but we need to listen. We need to hear what he's saying. Phil, I need to pray for you. That maybe some of you through this regular challenge you're just thinking, man, I don't know if I can live that. That sounds tough. That sounds hard. Saying I love thieves is not an easy thing. I don't know if I can do that. His love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. So I want to pray for you as a church, as a body. If you've walked away from it, this prayer is for you. Just come back and accept the blood of Jesus for your salvation. Quit trying to work it out. Just believe. Father, I pray for this church body here at the bridge. God, that we would accept the blood of your son Jesus for our salvation. And God, we would do all the good works that you have for us to do. And Lord, that you would just encourage us, that you would embolden our people here at the bridge to live their best life and do the things that you have planned for them and allow them to act on things. And when your impulses come through the Holy Spirit and you quicken their hearts, as your Bible says, that God, that they would do the things you asked them to do, but they would never lean on their own works for their salvation. But God, they would just continue to believe that it's all for love that you gave your son for us. And God, that we could enjoy the joy of our salvation. That we could be happy about 
that I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I've been bought by the blood, and heaven's going to be my reward because of what you did. Help us to live in that, to dwell in that, to exist in that as a body of believers and allow us to share it with our neighbors, with our friends, with our families, with the world in which we live. I pray that you make us bold witnesses for you. That we can tell how good you are because of how good you've been to us. Allow us to speak and allow us to listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Love God. Love people. Give somebody a hug before you go. Let them know you love them just like they are.